Always a great day to get to be together with friends and family here. It's been a couple months since our family has been able to be here and worshiping with y'all. We've been traveling all across the great U.S. of A., encouraging folks and writing and doing lots of fun stuff. And so it's been a blast. But I tell you what, we have been looking forward to and we are excited about being back here with y'all. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today in just a short time to do it. John told me that since it's summer hours, I only have 55 minutes to preach today, so we got to get to it. That was a joke. You can laugh. Boom. And so it's all good. It's all good. So uh, but as we gather and get ready to, to dive in, uh, I've told you before, and I'll say it over and over again because I don't know that it'll ever change. My favorite part of Jesus, my favorite part about walking with God is that he always has a next step for us. No matter where we are in our faith journey, there's always a next step for us to take. Whether you're brand new and you still have questions about this whole God thing and you're here because you're interested enough, you're, you're curious, or whether you've been walking hard with Jesus for 10, 15, 25, 35, 45, don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, 55 years, you've been going at it for a while, that always has a next step for us. But so often we'll miss that next step because we get confused about that truth that God has more for us. We just get confused and we think, I've read all of the stories, I've memorized the verses, I've served in all the ways, I've gone to all the mission trips. Now God doesn't have anything for me. God just has stuff for me to do. There's not a next step for me to grow. Now all I can do is help other people grow. And we think that God doesn't want to do anything in us. He just wants to work through us. Can I encourage you today that no matter where you are, God wants to work not only in you, but through you. Not just through you, but in you. That your your spiritual responsibility is not merely to help other people, but it's to grow in relationship with God. But we get confused about that, and that stunts our growth. Sometimes we just get comfortable And that stunts our growth. Confusion and comfort will stunt your growth. You'll get comfortable right where you are. And you start thinking, you know what, God, this is a pretty good spot. God, you've done some good things in my life. I'm really, really happy. I'm really, really comfortable right here. And you'll miss that God has even more for you in the next step. But you don't take it because you're comfortable in the step that you're at. And you start limiting God and start thinking that, you know what, God doesn't, God, why would God want to do more? This is great just like it is. You know, we have to remember that God always has more. God always has new. God always has more for us in the next step. Sometimes comfort will keep us from taking the next step. Sometimes confusion and sometimes just the cycle of shame will keep us from taking the next step. Because we'll start thinking, you know, I really should read my Bible more. You know, I really should fill in the blank. I really should go and serve. I really should listen to this music and not that music. I really should apologize to this person. But we don't, and we end up feeling ashamed about it. And then have you ever been there? You go, you know, this is going to be the week. I'm going to get my quiet times right. And you say, this is going to be the week. And then week gets busy. You wake up late. And then the kids. And then the work. And then you end up with some, some bad gas in your gas tank. And you end up having to take the car to the shop and all this. And you just, you just don't. And you go, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't spend time with Jesus this week. And then instead of feeling like, man, I really want this. Like you miss a meal and you get really hungry. You're like, yep, I'm going to go get a meal. Let's go make it happen. Taco Bell is open up late. It's okay. We'll go. And it's perfect for vegans and for meat eaters because they don't use real meat anyway. So like we can all get something. We can all get something to eat at the Taco Bell, right? You miss a meal. You don't feel ashamed about it. 
You just make a way and you go do it because you're hungry for it. But we miss something with Jesus and we start feeling ashamed about it. And we go, man, God, God's angry with me. God's upset with me. God doesn't want to do more. God's disappointed. God doesn't want to grow. And you see that cycle of shame, that comes from the evil one. That's a bold-faced lie. And we just believe it so much, we think that it's the truth. The reality is it comes from the evil one. And so as we think today, I just want you to know that God has a next step for you. God is inviting you in. And that next step is not something, some step of obligation, but it's a step of invitation to grow deeper in relationship with God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at eight areas. Eight areas, it's a lot. We're going to move through quick. Uh, For a vegan, I throw a lot of meat out when I preach, you know. And so there's going to be a lot that we talk about today. And I don't know that you need all eight of these. You might just need one. And maybe it just might be this simple idea that we talk about, the big picture that is what you need. Uh, But I want to encourage you today that God has a next step for you to take. It's a next step of growth. It's a next step that he's waiting for you. He's calling you into. So as we get ready to talk about that, let's stand and declare the Shema. Uh, the Shema, an ancient prayer, a uh, declaration of who God is and who we desire to be. As we say it, some in Hebrew and some in English, uh, we say it uh, as a declaration of our intention, um, as a declaration of the standard that we want to live to, you know, the affirmation of what we believe to be true. So be on the screen, uh, say it with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Take a seat. And as we do, I want a simple idea today. If you were going to write something down, I would write this down. A simple idea. If you get this, you'll get all that we talk about today. Here it is. A balanced life goes further faster. A balanced life will go further faster an unbalanced life, the further that it goes and the faster it goes, the more damage it will do. Think about, think about a wheel. We'll throw this up on the screen. This summer, uh, we had our first leadership camp. We invited 60 athletes from 37 different campuses across the great state of Texas. And they came in and we invested in them the principles of servant leadership. So they could go back to their campus and make an impact, not just as they go and do what they do on the field, uh, but they could go and make an impact in their locker room, on their campus, and in their community. And one of the exercises or courses that we did was a low ropes course. And, you know, we had the trolleys where everybody stands and you have to walk and step and you go through or you have the spider webs where you tied ropes between the trees and you shove people through and try not to drop them on their face and get them all the way through. And, and what we found is that with all of these leaders, and they were the best of the best from their campuses, what we found with all of these leaders was this thing kept coming up was that they didn't communicate very well. Because they were all so used to leading, they were all trying to lead. They were so used to being the ones in charge that nobody knew how to follow. And so what happened very quickly is that these very easy tasks became very complicated because they were out of balance. They had a bunch of leaders and no followers. They had a bunch of talkers and no listeners. And this thing that came very, very clear was this idea that an unbalanced team is a pretty unsuccessful team. And we likened it to the image of a wheel. You see here, you can imagine the wheel on your truck or on your vehicle. That if you had a wheel that was flat or was unbalanced, you wouldn't go very far, very fast, would you? If we were to think about the wheel of life, 
When we think about eight areas, our personal health, our spiritual, our goals, our grit, uh, our personal codes, servant leadership, growth mindset, these different areas of our lives, you can imagine that if the wheels on the, the vehicle of your life look like this in the top left, you wouldn't get very far, would you? You'd be clumping along. You could have a, a great emphasis on personal health. You're out there doing the CrossFit. You're getting big body swole like Father Tom's not coming after you. You're getting it, right? You're getting after it. But you didn't spend a whole lot of time with Jesus. Like you're big body swole, but you're, you're a weakling when it comes to the scriptures. I need somebody to be Jesus Jack, scripture swole, but you're not, right? And so you're just bumping along and you're healthy physically, but spiritually you're weak. Right. Or, or, or you can imagine how if you spend some time maybe with your health and you spend a little bit more time on your personal code, like who you are is more important than what you do. Growth mindset, some things like that. You have a few areas that are really out there and you have a few that are really close in. And what happens? You clump along, clump, 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 and you don't get very far very fast. You see, what I want you to understand is that a balanced life will go further faster and a balanced life is better than a perfect life. You see, when we try to be perfect in all of these areas and say, I have to be absolutely perfect, we get so obsessed with having the perfect personal health, the perfect body image. How many young women? How many young women have wrecked their lives in pursuit of a perfect body image? They've missed, they've missed their purpose. They've missed that God has created them on purpose and for purpose. They, they were beautifully and wonderfully knitted in their mother's room. They got obsessed with one area and it wrecks them. How many families have been wrecked because fathers get obsessed with work ethic and they get obsessed with being the best at work and they forget purpose? And they forget that they were created to love God more than to love work. You see, we get obsessed with one area. And don't, don't get me wrong. I want you to raise the standard. We're going to have high standards. We'll talk about it. But when we get obsessed with being perfect, we miss the reality that a balanced wheel, even if it's smaller, is going to go faster than an unbalanced wheel. And so you just see here visually, as you can work through, the goal is to have a balanced life across these eight areas, right? And so you get that, you're going to get everything that we talk about. Those two things, a balanced life goes further, faster, and balance is more imperfect, more important than a perfect life. And now what I want to do is we're just going to talk about each of these eight areas and see what the scriptures have to say about each of these. Number one, I encourage you to take photos of these because there's a lot of text and I want you to come back to them and you can read it. And it can be a standard that you can measure your life towards, but also be an affirmation of what is right and good and true. So as we look first, as we look at the spiritual area of our lives, listen to this. I am known, loved, treasured, and purposed by the God of creation. Would you hear that in your heart of hearts? That no matter the intention of your parents, no matter the status that you hold in life, you are known, treasured, purposed, and loved by the God of creation. Proverbs 16 and verse 4 says that God has created everyone and everything on purpose and for a purpose. That there is no accident in you. That God has purposed your life. And as such, we live with our eyes focused on Jesus. You know, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? 
There's a lot of distractions in this world that would cause us to look to the right or to the left. But we got to focus forward on Jesus. That our ears are listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. That our heart belongs to God. Where does your heart belong? I mean, honestly, where does your heart belong? It's been said a good litmus to know where your heart is, is to look at your calendar and your checking account. And those will tell you where your heart is. Because you take the two things that are very, very limited, very, very precious, your time and your money. And how you choose to spend those things are a reflection of what's on the inside, right? What we allow in our here takes root in our heart. What takes root in our heart comes to life in our hands. What, what we allow in, it, it takes root. It's going to come to life in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we spend our money. My eternity is secure in Christ, and my life is found in Christ alone. I refuse to let the lies of the evil one determine how I live or see myself. You see, when we have a balance, when we are in a healthy place, and we're looking at a spiritual area of our lives, when we're at a healthy place, these things are true of us. That we believe, we live like, we act like, We're known, loved, and treasured by the God of creation. That we were purposed. That our lives have mattered. That they matter. That they're purposed. When we're living healthy in a spiritual way, that we we live with open hands. God, my time, it's yours. God, my money, it's yours. God, my focus is on you. I'm not trying to look and see what's trending on social media today to figure out who I want to be or what's going to be my standards. No, I'm focused on you. You see, these become markers of a healthy spiritual life. John 3, 16 and 17 is so familiar, and yet it gets, yet sometimes that familiarity, that comfort with the verse will cause us to miss the power of it. Listen to it from the message paraphrase. It's not on the screen. Just hear it with your heart. This is how much God loved the world, that he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why, that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone who can have a whole and lasting life, a balanced, complete life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put things right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. And anyone who refuses to trust in him has long been sent under the death sentence without knowing it. Here's the idea. Here's the point. God loves you. God knows you. And there's nothing in your life that will disqualify you from God's love. Think of it like this. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you any more or any less than he already does. The completeness of God's love is on you. And when you believe that, it changes how you live. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you spend your time and your money. It changes where you focus. It changes what you value. When you really get that, I'm talking deep in here, it changes the way that you live. And so as we look at having a balanced life, I might just ask the question, are you living, are you spiritually healthy as defined by living in, focused on, who God has created you to be. I'm not asking if you read a verse a day to keep the devil away, if you memorized a bunch of verses. 
But that's, some of us is like that, though. We're just like, I'm, I'm a, I got to get on Facebook to get my verse today to keep the devil away. I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. Devil's probably at Facebook. So you might just stay away from Facebook and get in the holy book and you might be better off. You know, what I, but that's that's another story. So. <laughs> so silly. Who, who lets me do these jokes? Uh, that wasn't in my notes. Uh, nonetheless, uh, are you living spiritually healthy? Right. You look, that's an area of life that you may say my next step. Let's do some work in my spiritual health. Number two, take a look at personal code. Listen to this. I hold myself accountable to and live by a code that doesn't change based on the forces of culture around me. That's integrity. That's living to say that I'm not going to let what is trending determine what I value, right? And, And it's so true, especially for young people today. For all people, let's be honest. Anybody that touches social media, it's so easy to look at what's trending today. Okay, okay, today this is good, so I'm going to try to be this. But then by the time you figure out what is good and this, all of a sudden it's, tra- it's changed and the new trends have come. And what once was good is now no good. What once was standard is now offensive. What once was cool is now uncool. It changes like that. The winds blow and the values of the culture around us change. I don't know what your Bible says, but my Bible says that God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He's the same forever. That he is a firm foundation. Do you place your values, do you place your standards, build those upon the truth of Scripture or upon the shifting winds of culture? You see, when you start to go, who am I? What is it that I stand for? What does our family stand for? Let your accountability, your standard of accountability be set on scripture, not on the changing forces of culture around me. Who I am is more important than what I do, because what I do is determined by who I am. My standard, my code, and my focus is Christ alone. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is no longer my own. The standards are no longer what's convenient for me. The standard is the standard is the standard, and my standard is Christ. And when that means I have to stand up and go against culture, then I'm going to stand up and go against culture because Christ is my standard. When it gets uncomfortable and I have to have the difficult conversations, I have to wrestle with the hard truths, I have to make the hard choices, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do it because Christ is the standard, not the culture. And all too often, culture will tell us it's okay to bend the standard, to lower the standard when it gets inconvenient or difficult or hard or you have to grow through. You just keep lowering the standard and lowering the standard. The Bible says the standard is clear. Christ is the standard. And that's the same today and always. We don't lower the standard when it gets inconvenient. Leaders make hard choices. And sometimes it's going to be hard to be a Christian. Sometimes it's going to be hard to stand up for your faith at work. Sometimes it's going to be hard to stand up and there are going to be folks that want to go to certain places to get deals done. You're going to have to say, I don't go there. And it's going to cost you real money. It's going to cost you real business. It's going to cost you real promotion. But God will honor integrity. I remember uh, 
there was a, a friend of mine, he was a, a coach, he was an assistant coach when I was in high school, and he did all the things that coaches do to work up through the chain to get to the point where he could be the head coach and athletic director, a lifelong dream. And he makes it to the point, and he gets to a place, and you coach in high school sports, you kind of, you're at the mercy of the talent in the area that you get. Well, he drew the lucky card, and he had a guy that was an anchor type guy on his defense, the kind of guy you build the entire thing around, the key player. And one day he was driving this young man home, and as he dropped him off, he realized that the place he was dropping him off at was outside his attendance zone. And so he asked the young man, he said, is this your house or I'm dropping you off at a friend's house? He said, oh, no, coach, I live here. And he said, really? Because this is zoned to a different school. He said, oh, no, coach, I use my uncle's address in, the, in, in, in our school zone so that I can go there, but I just live over here. And in that moment, that coach realized the anchor of his defense, the guy that was going to walk him through championships, that was going to help advance his career, that was going to make his, his interviews much, much easier. Instead of people knocking on his door, why aren't you winning? They're going to be coming in and going, hey, coach, is there anything that we can do for you? Do you need some more money to get your program to the next level? What do you, he realized that the, the anchor to his team ought not be there. And he had a choice to make. He dropped the kid off, turned around, went back, went straight to the office, called his wife, said, baby, I'm going to be home late, and self-reported. The next day, the kid said, coach, why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. Nobody would have known. And he said, son, I knew. And I had to look myself in the eye, and I can't stand here and claim to be a Christian. I can't stand here and claim to have integrity. I can't stand here and say that this is a pillar of who I am and all that I want to be if I were willing to look the other way because it would be inconvenient for me. You see, that's personal code. That's integrity. That's saying that my standard is Christ alone, even when it's difficult, even when it costs me. I wonder, are you willing to stand up for Christ, not just when it's easy, but when it's costly? Would you be willing? Do you love God like that, or does your love stop at a certain price point? Number three, servant leadership. I joyfully serve those around me. Do you serve with joy or do you serve out of obligation? It's a simple question, but it has a big difference. Do you have to show up somewhere? I have to get up early to come set up chairs. I have to go give out and put out donuts or do I get to? You see, it's a big difference. Do I have to or do I get to? I joyfully serve. I intentionally look for ways to bring the very best of me to every encounter, relationship, challenge, or goal for the good of others and the glory of God. Do you intentionally look for ways to bring the best of you? Or do you just bring the best of you when it's advantageous for you? I was, I was reading over this and, and setting it while I was in an Uber in downtown Houston. And as I was going through, I got in, I threw my head in my, my Bose, noise-canceling headphones on. I was looking down. I had my iPad Pro with the pencil, and I was feeling like I was being all uh, multi-purpose and using my time really well. And I was thinking, I, and I, I said hi to the driver, but that was about it, you know. And I was thinking I was really being somebody, doing, getting some good stuff done. And then it says, I intentionally look for ways to bring the best of me to every encounter. Took that iPad pencil, tapped the red ink, crossed out every, wrote in some encounters, convenient encounters. Isn't that what we do sometimes? 
we'll bring the best of us to the convenient encounters. But not the best. Isn't it good? Isn't it worth singing hallelujah on that Jesus didn't bring the best of him to just some of us, but that he joyfully brought the best of him for all of us. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. At any moment when Christ was on the cross, at any moment when he was being lied about, when he was being beaten and mocked and bruised, at any moment he could have thought the thought and ended it all. At any moment, he could have called in the legions of angels, could have shut the whole thing down and said, you know what? These jokers, they don't get it. They're ungrateful. They don't appreciate the sacrifice that I'm making for them. But he didn't. Because Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve. He understood that his service was not about him, but it was about them. Do you serve for you or do you serve for the people that you serve? Do you joyfully choose to serve for the reward of service or do you choose to serve for the rewards that will come because you served? It's a big difference. Christ set the example that he served to be served. We look in in Philippians chapter 2, the Christ hymn, that Christ humbled himself to the point of obedience to where he was put to death, even death on a cross. And because he humbled himself and served, Then came the reward. Then came, because of that, at every knee will bow and every tongue confess the name of Jesus. But the service came first. And the service was enough. The reward was icing on the cake, right? As we think about having a healthy life, a full and balanced life, when we serve, let's serve with joy. Let's let our service be the way that Christ served. Not for the sake of the reward, but for the reward of serving for the good of others, for what it would bring into their lives, not merely into ours. Personal health. This is number four. I can skip this one if we want. We're short on time. No, we'll do this one. This one's an important one. This is an important one. Personal health. I choose to invest in my health because I understand the healthier I am, the better I can serve God and love others. It matters how we take care of our physical, our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual health. It matters because the healthier we are, the better and the longer that we can serve. It breaks my heart when people and people that are close to me, that say, you know what, it doesn't matter how I treat my body because I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well eat something and be happy along the way. No, that's going to slow your race down. That's going to shorten the track that you can run. God wants to do big things in and through you. But when you don't take care of self, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you don't take care of self, you get shut down, brother. And we got to keep going. But I don't say that to shame. Hear that. There's no shame in this. It's an invitation, right? It's an invitation to say, let's take care of self so we can better go and serve. And when we're struggling... Whatever that struggle looks like, know that there's no shame in the struggle. That you're not alone in it. 
In fact, Paul says in, in, in Corinthians that when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, God meets me and makes me strong. So if you've got struggle, don't be ashamed about it. Celebrate it. Be like, dude, God is about to come in and be strong in my life because I recognize that I'm weak right here. When you think that you're somebody and you've got the strength, you're like, no, God, I'm good. I got this. I don't need a spot. Go ahead. Go help somebody else. I'm good over here. Out here trying to do it on your own. But the moment you realize, you know what, God, I, I actually do need help. Then God can come in and can make you stronger. You see, when we invest in our health, spiritual, emotional, mental, we can serve God and others better, longer. So I just want to encourage you today. Don't be so selfish as to not ask for help. Turns out it's not selfish to say, I need somebody to help me. It's not selfish to take care of self through your boundaries, through saying no in service of a greater yes. There's no shame in that. In fact, it's a, it's a, it's a marker of strength, right? It takes more strength to ask and receive help than it does to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And it's also a lot more effective. Number five, we're short on time. Number five, goals. Think on this. I work towards goals that are worthy of the talents, gifts, and purposes God has entrusted to me and created me to steward. Did you ever think about the reality that God has created you to steward a set of talents? God has created you to steward a set of your personality, of your uniqueness, of how God has created you. He's created you to steward it the way that you would steward a budget. You take care of your budget because you don't want to go to buy the iPhone 13 or whatever number we're on and you swipe the card and it comes back and it says insufficient funds. You don't want that to happen. So what do you do? You steward your money. You put it in a budget. You make sure you got enough money for this and for that. You automate what's important so all your bills get paid and all of that. You steward it. In the same way, we steward or take care of the life experiences, the pains, the talents that God has given you. God will never waste a pain or talent. God won't waste it. But he entrusts you to steward the pain and the talent that you've been given so that it can be used for a greater purpose. And so as you set goals for your life, set goals that are worthy of what God has given you. Right? Don't set the bar low and go, if I have low expectations, it's easier to get over them. No, because you do that long enough. It's funny the first time, right? But you do it long enough and you start thinking, well, God can't really do a whole, whole lot in me because all that's ever happened are these really small, insignificant things. No, man, you've just, you've just been a bad steward. Set the big goals. Let God move in and through you. Do it because there are people around you that are counting on you, right? In this church, no one can do everything, right? But everybody can do something. And we need you to do the something that you can do, right? Adam can stand up here and play guitar barefooted and it's, it's awesome, right? He goes for it. I can't do that. I need to do my job. And there are things that you can do that I can't. There are things that I can do that you can't, but we all need each other, right? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That we have people around us that are cheering us on. We have people around us that are counting on us to steward well the talents and the gifts and the pain and the purpose that God has put inside of us. Let's live worthy of what God has entrusted in you. Next, number six, grit. It's a popular word these days. We'll, we'll sum it up like this. I persevere regardless of the trials, challenges, or obstacles that are in front of me. I just keep going. I will not let hard work, hard days, hard choices, or hard truths keep me from living into the purposes for which God has called me. Instead, I will embrace them as discipline and purpose them for my growth. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, at the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up. Friends, don't give up on what God is doing in your life. Don't give up on what God wants to do in you and through you. How many times have we missed God's blessings. How many times have we missed what God could do in and through us simply because the challenge in front of us looked bigger than God? You see, when we don't live with perspective, we don't, when we don't see on God's timeline, the things that are so immediate get much, much bigger. The pain gets bigger. The impossibleness of the situation gets bigger. It seems like there's no easy way out and it, there, it just seems impossible. The immediacy of it seems impossible. But when we step back and we have God's perspective, this little thing that's in front of us that's blocking our view, it's tiny compared to the view that God sees. Isaiah uh, chapter 55 says, uh, says, as God's ways are different than our ways, that what he sees is different than what we see. Let's embrace that. When the difficult times come, and let's not give up and quit, but let's persevere. Let's push through. Romans chapter 5 says that when we persevere and we endure, that ultimately leads to hope. When we have hope, we can push through the hard days and the hard choices because we know there's more for tomorrow than there is today. Which leads us to number seven, growth mindset. As we, it says this, I seek the growth that is available to me. I have not arrived yet. I am arriving. I believe there's more for tomorrow than there was for today, and I am willing to work for it. I will embrace the process of growth even when God's timeline is different than mine. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all that I could ever ask or imagine. You know, it would do no good if God was willing but not able. It would be worthless if God was able but willing. I'm here today and say, you know what? I love you guys so much for being here at the early service coming in. You're not rolling in at 11 like the folks that like to sleep in on Sundays. You're here early, ready to go. I'm going to give you each a million dollars as a reward for being here at the early service. And I tell you what, I could want to do it with all that I am. But I'm going to tell you right now, I start writing checks and the very first one is going to be insufficient funds. And the next one, insufficient funds. And the next one, insufficient funds. Because I could be willing but not able. If I were able but not willing, I'd just be a big old fat jerk. God's not a jerk. God's not incapable. He is willing and able 
to do exceedingly, abundantly more than all you could ask or imagine. But we got to work and we got to wait and we got to stay faithful and we got to change the mindset from this verse saying, oh, this is our, our, uh, our, our excuse for God to be our cosmic Santa Claus, our, our spiritual uh, uh, heavenly divine genie, that now we just get to pray the prayer, have some faith, and get the big Christmas list. It doesn't work that way. God's not a genie. God's not a cosmic Santa Claus. God is a good father. And he's not going to bring things into your life that aren't going to help you. He's not going to bring things into your life. He's, you're not going to pray, God, I really, really want this. And God's going to be like, that's really, really going to hurt you. And you're like, no, God, I really, really want it. And if you get it, it's not because God brought it. It's because you went and took it when you didn't need to. You have this sense that there's hope. There's more for tomorrow than there is today. This might just be a place where you say, God, I need to take that next step. You're inviting me to live with a little bit of hope because I've, I've not been. I've been living in scarcity. Finally, number eight. Work ethic. This is a good one. I work harder today than I did yesterday to be better today than I was yesterday. I may be out-talented, but I'll never be outworked. And the work I do is not for me or my recognition, but to make God famous and my circle of influence. Friends, hear this. We don't work hard because we want God to love us. We work hard because God already loves us. Because God has given himself fully, because God's love has been fully, we respond to that gift by working hard. And that hard work can look like being the very best plumber, the very best real estate person, the very best teacher, the very best whatever you are, and you just work hard at it, the very best retired person, the very best whatever it is that you do, you work hard at being the best at it for the glory of God, to make God famous and your circle of influence. So that people would see you and go, man, why, why are you doing this? Why are you serving like this? You're retired, you're supposed to be fishing. And you go, look, I didn't, I didn't retire to go fish. I had a purpose retirement plan and I retired from work so I could get to my real work that God has set for me in this next season of life. Why do you teach like this? Not because I wanna have certain grades on standardized testing, because God has given me, has entrusted me with a handful of young people and I'm gonna give them the very best that I have. There could be smarter, better teachers out there, but there's not gonna be a teacher in America that works harder than I do because God has entrusted these kids to me. I don't care about their talent. They're entrusted with somebody else. I'm responsible for this. We work hard and when we do it, it changes the way people see us, but more importantly, it changes the way people see God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. You go, why do you live the way that you do? You go, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, why are you working like this? Let me tell you about what my Jesus did for me. When you receive that, it changes who you are and how you live. There are eight areas. Maybe you need a little bit of all eight. Maybe you just need one. I don't know the next step for you. It's a lot to, to digest. If you didn't get the photos or any of that, I'd be happy to email you uh, this slide. You can use them as a daily affirmation. It's a standard test that you do, an affirmation affirming what is right and true and good. But as you think about these eight areas, I want you to know a balanced life will go further faster, that you'll be able to make a bigger impact in your world, make God more famous when you're balanced across these areas. Remember, balance is more important than perfection. 
And the invitation to step forward into these is not because you're broken, not because uh, God is shaming you into something, but because God wants to meet you in the place and the ways that he's created you to be. He wants to meet you in holiness because he loves you. Let's pray. Daddy, thanks so much uh, that you have, that you are the author and creator of life, that you know life as it's meant to be. God, would you open up our hands that we would take away, that we would let go of our desire to form life to our own plans. We, with open hands, would seek to have our lives formed to the way that you've designed it. God, would you help us be balanced spiritually, mentally, and emotionally in all of these areas that you could use us, that we could impact more people for your kingdom, for your glory, not for ours. God, help us be joyful servants. Help us be faithful in growing and continually taking the next step that you're calling us to take. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.